Thank you, Brother Tim. Let's bow for a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray in, the, in this very moment, Father, that your spirit will just fill this place and open our hearts and minds to hear from you. Lord, um, this morning I pray that you give clarity to what I uh, feel that I'm supposed to say, Lord. And uh, Father, I just ask for your guidance. I love everyone in this room, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to be with them again. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If we had the time, I'd love to put pieces of paper on every table and ask you to list the things that were different from December 20th, 2019 to December 20th, 2020. Now, I'm sure everyone's list would have a lot of different items on it. Some of them we would probably be able to match up. I think through the past year, there's been beautiful little babies born, and I don't nothing better than a sweet baby's born. Uh, you know, in the life of this church, I remember in the past year, we've seen young men be baptized, and life's changed, and those boys preach and proclaim God's word. There's been many positive things that have happened. But also, in the last year, there's been some what we may deem negative things that have happened as well. And I would really, at this point, don't even need to name those things, because we all know what they are. Um, you know, we've suffered loss, we've suffered disease, so many different things. And I had a sermon prepared, and I think I say this a lot, but I had a sermon prepared and the Lord changed it Wednesday morning on me. Um, the Lord prodded my heart. I had a difficult morning Wednesday morning, a difficult discussion with someone, and it really upset me. And um, I was preparing to go to work, and I was driving 600 north, and the Lord prodded my heart. And he put a scripture on my heart. I don't know about you, but he raises scriptures up to me that come, I believe, come from him, and he speaks to me through those. And the one that he put before me this particular Wednesday morning on 600 North comes from Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. And it may be familiar to you this morning. And I'm going to read it to you. It's Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Well, at that precise moment, the Holy Spirit lovingly reminded me that I'm not in control of circumstances or individuals. Maybe you too wrestle with this. Um, too often, I or we try to second-guess God and venture to predict or anticipate what he is doing or going to do uh, in our lives. Um, frequently, we may create in our minds an unreal God made in our own image and our own likeness instead of realizing that we are made in his image and likeness, that, and he's the eternal God and universal creator whose works and ways are beyond our limited comprehension. That's a reality. So as I soaked in this one thought that morning, the Lord impressed me that this scripture needed to headline today's message. And you just don't think of that particular verse as a Christmas message. So I said, it's up to you, Lord. How many times have you heard the blessed Christmas story that Brother Tim's read? I'm sure many of you uh, could come up here and tell the story verbatim. 
Um, I, Sunday school, I remember hearing it. Um, church as a little boy hearing it. And most of us, you know, could probably uh, answer some of the difficult questions. Did the wise man really see Jesus in the manger? Did the star really appear over the stable? And just how many wise men were there? And that's good that we know those things. There's tremendous value in knowing the answers to those questions. But C.S. Lewis once said, we don't need to be told new ideas so much as we need to be reminded of old truths. I want us this morning to look at the Christmas story today with fresh minds. I want us to kind of put aside, if you can, everything that we know and look at it um, a little bit differently. To put the sandals on in the first century um, folks and, um, and to imagine how utterly amazed they must have been at some of the events that transpired. They had been anticipating the coming of the Messiah for hundreds of years. They had it fixed in their minds exactly how his kingdom would come and what he and his kingdom would be like. But things did not happen as expected. As a matter of fact, probably nothing that the average Jewish person thought would happen actually did. There were many what we might refer to as surprises in the Christmas story. One reason we need to look back at this story fresh is because we've heard the story so much, sometimes we may get a little comfortable with it and think we know it all. But let me remind you, God's word is living and breathing, so it can speak to us in new ways and reveal itself to us in new ways. So those surprises, I don't like to call them surprises. If you notice on underneath the Christmas story, they asked me what the name of the sermon was. I said the Christmas story, and Sean was a little... He was, I said, I-5589. He had no clue what that was, and probably no one else in this room does. But those are what I'm going to call the things we're going to talk about, the Isaiah 55, 8, and 9 moments that is God's way of doing things, particularly in the Christmas story, that I wouldn't have done. So we're going to call those I-5589s. Just go with me on it. I know I'm nuts, but... <laughs> The first one we're going to look at today is the parents of Jesus were really pretty surprising. I suppose God gave you or me the, um, the job of selecting the parents for the Messiah. <laughs> if we're honest, we'd have to admit we wouldn't have chosen Mary nor Joseph in a million years, even with the best intentions that we have. We think we know it sometimes better than he does. We would have selected wealthy parents so that Christ's child could have had the very best of everything. We selected parents who were mature, uh, could have been sure of his protection and wisdom. The parents would have been selected, would have been people of culture, poise, and influence. Because in our hearts, we wanted the Messiah to have the right education and to be trained in the right manners. Look at, around at the people who have a, the most influence in this world. They're educated and wealthy and influential people. Remember when the wise men came to Jerusalem searching for the Messiah? Where did they go? They went directly to the palace. And they said, where is he who is born a king? That would be the normal response for any of us. We would go to the palace if we think a king was coming. Because royalty begets royalty, royalty, and obviously it was a place to look for a king, a palace. But the first Christmas present presented an incredible surprise. God selected two very unlikely people, a teenage girl named Mary and a poor 
blue-collar worker named Joseph. Joseph was just a carpenter from the backwoods, uncultured town of Nazareth, not known for its greatness at all. Matter of fact, do you remember what Nathaniel said when he was first told Philip about Jesus? Quote, unquote, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The parents of Jesus were surprising, again, a teenage girl and a poor blue-collar worker. Well, the next I-5589 moment we're going to talk about is the timing of Jesus' birth. In verse 1, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census would be taken of the entire Roman world. Well, if we were in charge, I doubt we would have chosen the time of Caesar Augustus. I'm just saying. We might have chosen the time when David was king. Think about that. Um, when David was king, we um, would have... Uh, Jews became the super world power. We would have wanted that. They had momentum with wealth, influence, and opportunity. Wouldn't it seem natural after David died to bring and usher Jesus in? Or, here's my thought. What if we would have fast-forwarded into the 20th century with air travel, satellite communication, television? It would have been a perfect time for Christ to come, don't you think? We could have used all the modern technology to spread his message, and uh, his miracles would have been captured by CNN, CNN, two Ns, and the front cover of um, Time magazine would have Jesus' picture on it. If we ask a public relations expert, if we were to hire one, he, he would definitely agree with us that the 20th century was a time, a perfect time for God to bring Christ to us. If we take time and to think about it and study it, we'll see that God's timing was perfect. Galatians 4.4 tells us, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law. When I was studying for this week's message, I ran across things that I wouldn't have known historically that kind of interest me. First of all, um, 300 years before Christ came, Alexander the Great, when he conquered the world, established the Greek language as the universal language. Now, that sounds like a ho-hum thing, but when Jesus came into the world, it was one of the rare times in history when the people of the world could communicate with each other. There was a universal language. To me, that's mind-baffling. Number two, after Alexander the Great, Rome became the new world power, and Rome built roads. Rome kept a strong military presence throughout the empire. All of this made travel much easier and relatively safe for the most part. There was order in the world that had not been seen before. And thirdly, after 400 years of silence from God, mankind found out that this could not, that they could not make it without him. This led to a widespread expectancy of the Messiah. Well, lastly, the old face had worn out, and the Jews were convinced that they, as they watched corruption in their leaders and their own failures at keeping the law, they needed a Savior because they couldn't keep those laws. They just couldn't keep them. God was right. The perfect time that he came was at the precise moment that he ordained. Thirdly, the place of Jesus' birth was surprising. It's another I-5589. Jesus was born in a small village 
town called Bethlehem. We probably wouldn't have chosen a little village like that. Would we have selected St. Louis Crossing or Hartsville or uh, another area? Um, we probably would have chosen a more powerful, prolific place, Jerusalem, Rome, Athens, or Alexandria. But Bethlehem was so small and insignificant that when Joshua allotted the towns to the various tribes, it was not even mentioned. This little town wasn't. But the prophet Micah, 700 years before Christ, mentioned the town of Bethlehem. Though you are, and this is from Micah 5.2, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Micah proclaimed that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Now, I want to point out to you, think about this. A week before Christ's birth, Mary was still in Nazareth, 80 miles from Bethlehem. Now today, that doesn't sound like, you know, very far. But think about it when you don't have any really modes of transportation. 80 miles is a long haul. And in the day where everyone walked, extremely far distance. But God was in control, and he, he took care of that, didn't he? Caesar Augustus ordered a census that it be taken, and this census required that Joseph be registered in the city of his family's roots, Bethlehem. So Mary and Joseph at the right time made their four-day journey to Bethlehem. Fourthly, the seemingly uneventful nature of Jesus' birth. This is an I-5589 for me that hit me this week just as I was looking at the scriptures. I mean, we're talking about God's son being born to a virgin, an almighty God coming down to earth and living with man. This is not something that happened every day. This is the biggest news that ever occurred. Somehow in my mind, I would have expected a more dramatic birth experience. Verse 6 reads, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth. That's it. It all seems ordinary, doesn't it? The same warning could have been used of any baby. I think about the song that I love, Buddy Green and Mark Lowry's song, Mary, did you know that your baby boy is the Lord of, your, of all creation? Did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy, baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? I love Max Licato, how he communicates things, and this is what he wrote about the same event. And it reads, he looked like anything but a king. His face is prudish and red, and his cry, though strong and healthy, is still the helpless and piercing cry of a baby. And he is absolutely dependent upon Mary for his well-being. Majesty in the midst of the mundane, holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat, divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable, through the womb of a teenager and in the presence of a carpenter. This baby had overlooked the universe. The rags, rags keep him warm where the, ro were the robes of eternity. His golden throne room had been abandoned 
in favor of a dirty sheep pen. And worshiping angels had been replaced with kind but bewildered shepherds. Meanwhile, the city hums and merchants were unaware that God had visited their planet. The innkeeper would never believe that he had just sent God into the cold. And the people would scoff at anyone who told them in that the Messiah lay in the arms of a teenage girl on the outskirts of their village. They were all too busy to consider the possibility. Those who missed his majesty's arrival that night missed out not because of evil acts and not because of malice. They missed it because they simply, they weren't looking. Little has changed in 2,000 years. This is the last I-558 moment we're going to talk about. The ones who received the announcement of Jesus' birth, the shepherds. Now, shepherds weren't the most influential people of the day. As a matter of fact, they were among the lower class. Um, Many were migrants who ate and slept with the animals. Can you imagine how they must have smelt? Mm. The sophisticated people, cultured people, rolled their eyes and kept their distance from them. If we were asked to send the angel somewhere to make this announcement, we probably would have chosen someone like the great theologians of the day. Pharisees to the Sanhedrin or maybe angels appearing making the announcement to the emperor of Rome. And let them know that they better bow on their knees because the true king was coming. But on that blessed night, the great announcement came to the shepherds as Brother Tim wrote, read to us in Luke 2. Now, I've just listed five surprise or things I'm calling I-5589 moments. Things that would be different if we were in charge. But nestled within this, there's surprises and changes of truth that will change everything from today on. From the parents of Jesus, we learn that God uses ordinary people. He uses ordinary people. He's a master at it. He is an expert at turning the ordinary into extraordinary. Time and time again in Scripture, we see that. That's why God used Mary and Joseph. That's the kind of people they were, ordinary. And Mary was visited by the angel. She said, may it be as you have spoken. And Matthew writes that Joseph was a righteous man. They weren't highly educated They weren't um, anything that would make them stand out. They were really unskilled. But Acts 4, as I love to refer to, says they could tell the people, even though they're not educated or they're unskilled, you can tell when someone's been with Jesus. The second gift that God gives us in the birth is God is in control. All timing is God's timing. Nothing in this world, in history or in our lives, has yet happened or ever will happen without God's knowledge and approval. God is in control and his plan has been and it is being carried out. COVID, would we ever have chosen COVID? I've had COVID. I've had pneumonia, and I'm here, and I'm fine. He brought me through it. 
He had a reason for it. <clears throat> Quarantines, I can't stand it. Julie quarantined me to the bedroom, and every now and then she'd open the door and throw a ham sandwich in. I hate quarantines. The masks. I don't mind wearing a mask. I really don't. I'm, it fogs up my glasses, which drives me nuts. You know, we need windshield wipers or something. I don't know. But um, you know what the mask does? It disallows me. Sometimes the only thing I can give someone is a smile when you know they're having a bad day. And we, we can't even do that now. Satan, or the Lord reminded me of the songs, Hide It Under a Bushel, No, I'm Going to Let It Shine. This is our bushel. We're not going to let that define us. Um, no public gatherings. I hate that. I love people. Your laughter, your encouragement, your dialogue, you making fun of me or whatever is what keeps me fresh. And I love it. It's a blessing. And it spills over to, you know, so many aspects of life. Well, Augustus thought he was in control when he ordered a census to be taken. He thought it was his idea that God knew about the census before the creation of the world. So later, Herod thought he could stop God's plan by having the Christ child murdered. But he was un unsuccessful once again. Everything happened just as God planned. The Lord Almighty says, surely as I have planned, so it will be, and I have purposed, so it will stand. Isaiah 14, 24. What God has said would come to pass, came to pass. God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And no matter how wicked this world gets, no matter how out of control things might look or feel in your life or mine, God, what God has said will happen, and it will. He'll forgive our sins. He will build his church. He will defeat our enemies. He will give us the peace and power, and he will be our victory. All things work out for the good of his people. And Christ will return, and we will live with him in heaven forever. But remember, it will be God's timing, not ours. You know, I, I, I thought I had this morning is, you know, all of the events, maybe God, I don't know, I can't speculate, and here I'm trying to make my ways, but do you think maybe God might be removing all the traditions we had for this holiday season, the things that we thought were so powerful and meant so much? He's stripping those things away to say the light of the world is Jesus, and that's what you need to trust. In place of Jesus' birth, God gives us another great gift, and that gift is that Jesus Christ is what gives us significance. No place is insignificant as long as Jesus is there. We sang that hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem, this morning, How Still We See Thee Lie. How many other Bible towns do we sing about today? I can't think of any other. Bethlehem was to the world a small and insignificant village full of blue-collar workers, but Bethlehem was significant. And it, it was at that place that became, uh, that's where the light came, pierced through. 
You know, you know, you go across the state of Indiana. How many, have you go see churches that are huge, beautiful. They have orchestras, drama teams. Those things are great, but that's not what makes them significant. What makes them significant is that Jesus Christ resides there and is glorified there. You know, this little church on, six, or on uh, 800 North, as long as we glorify Christ, we are the most significant thing in Christ's eyes. But you know what? There's an obligation to this. We have a call. We have a call to make disciples, love each other, and love him. It's as simple as that. Put a circle around it. That's what he wants. The fourth truth, and we're getting close to the end here, guys. God often uses dramatic things in undramatic ways. And we've seen through the Bible how God has, you know, he's spoken bushes, he's parted the Red Sea, he's done so many things that are just mind-boggling. But also, if you think, um, the Old Testament when Elijah called down fire from heaven to consume an altar of Baal, several days later we find Elijah in a cave, depressed. See, they got depressed back then too. Because that dramatic miracle did not convert Jezebel. I wish we had time to talk more about that. Then all of a sudden there was a violent wind. But God was not in the wind. (laughs) Then there was a terrible fire, but God was not in the dramatic fire. Then there was a thundering, shaking earthquake. But God was not in the dramatic earthquake. Then God came. And spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. One time, the Pharisees told Jesus to do something dramatic to prove that he was the Son of God. And Jesus said that the only sign that they would get would be the sign of Jonah. And what Jesus was talking about was his death, burial, and resurrection. And if the gospel of Jesus Christ was not enough to convince him of who he was, then neither would a dramatic sign. What could be more powerful than a holy God dying for a sinful people? Tragically, things haven't changed too much. There's a lot of people that want signs. They want to see proof. This is our final gift that we're going to talk about, that God accepts all people. It comes from the shepherds. The shepherds are a symbol of God's acceptance of all the people. When nobody wanted to associate with them, God's angels appeared to them and announced the birth of the Savior. Unto the lowest, God gave his highest. Unto the neglected, God gave him his attention. And unto the poor, God gave his riches. The gospel's for everyone, the poor, the uneducated, the despised. No scripture better declares that than John 3.16. And will you appease me this morning? Let's say it together. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Conclusion this morning. Do you feel ordinary? I hope you do, because you're available. That's where God does his best work. Do you ever look at the world at times and lose heart? I think I've shared a little bit about my view. It's easy to lose heart, but I want to tell you, 
don't worry, don't lose heart. Jesus has overcome the world and God is in control. Has the world or someone made you feel unacceptable? Well, let me tell you that God does accept you wherever you are today. It doesn't matter whether you don't, you've never met him before, he'll meet you today. It doesn't matter whether you've walked with him for 30 years and you feel like you've done something that he can't forgive, he's here today. He loves you. We're all sinners. And let me just tell you, he's what this season's about. There's no need for us to be in this gym with two poinsettias, all of this. Jesus is the reason for us, and he gives us hope. I wouldn't want to live tomorrow if I didn't have the hope of Christ. I'm just telling you. Friday is Christmas this week. We can rest this Christmas season and 2021 throughout eternity that he is a holy, all-knowing God who peers through the darkness of night that in Bethlehem as well as the darkness in today's troubled times. I'm going to end the message where we started today. Isaiah 55, 8, 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is a holy God speaking to us. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Perhaps a really unusual scripture this morning for Christmas. But for me, I'm thankful that this reminder came to me through his living, breathing word and pierced my heart on 600 North this week. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for speaking to us. Lord, um, I don't know what to say right now except praise you and thank you. And uh, Lord, uh, thank you for your unconditional love. Thank you for sending Jesus for us, Lord. And may we just focus on him. And this morning, if there's anyone here that doesn't know uh, Jesus, Lord, may they just... Um, uh, just prod their hearts, speak to them this morning, and may we just um, may we just seek you, Father, please you and praise you. And I thank you for every person, every ear here. And I pray this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, Brother.